My sister tells a story when she was about, oh, probably 10 or 12 years old. She went down to an altar call. Her friend had invited her to a church service and that locally they were having. And, and uh, she went down to that altar to, to give her heart to the Lord at a very young age, around 12 years of age. Now, you do understand that these bigger, now I don't think this was one of those big events, but at those big events where they have altar calls and they, they give a message that pulls on the heartstrings and then they have the beautiful music, when, the first, when they begin to play that music and make, make the altar call, <clears throat> the shields that work for the campaign, such as the Billy Graham campaign, the shields are the first ones to walk down first. They actually work for the campaign. They are counselors. And and the reason for this is to break the ice because no one wants to, to be the first person to stand up. you know. So the shields go down first. And, and nothing wrong with that. It's just something that I thought you might need to know. Well, anyway, at this altar call that my sister went down to at age 12, she said that it was one of the best feelings that she had ever had uh, in her life. It was a feeling of euphoria. Now, what's interesting about her story is Later in life, you know, in other words, from that point, other than an acceptance of Christ, you know, uh, a superficial, really, acceptance, nothing really changed about her life. I mean, she continued to live her life for herself. She continued to live, you know, according to you know, basically the law, if it feels good, do it, you know, yielding to the temptations that, that the world offers at age 30, though, God called her, and what she found out was that she, back then, had never repented of anything. In fact, at that early age, she didn't even know what sin was. I mean, she didn't even know that sin is the breaking of God's law, First uh, John 3, 4. So how can you repent of something? And that is the focal point of, of accepting Jesus. You know, you, you repent of your sin, but how can you repent of something when you don't even know what sin is? So my point is, and what we're going to be talking about today is real repentance, that the majority of people out there, I would say, who profess Jesus Christ, who say that they're a Christian, who at one point in their life can look back at their life and say, oh yeah, I I made that decision for Christ, I was baptized, or whatever, they've never repented of their sins, is what I'm saying. And so we're going to talk about, and we're going to look at what real repentance is. Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. So we're looking at the most misunderstood subject in the Bible, and that is the subject of repentance. Acts 2 and verse 38 says this, As then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice the connection with baptism and the repentance of sin. You know, baptism is a is like a burial. It's the burial, a watery grave, the burial of the old man. And but again, there are people who go through the motion of this. They go through baptism. They can relate to maybe 
a very early in their life, maybe their parents talked them into at age 8 or 10 or 12, you know, you need to be baptized. Why would I say this subject is so important? Now, here it is. If it's not real repentance, you're not going to receive the Spirit of God. That's why this issue is so important. I mean, the issue, when we go down to the altar, regardless of the age, is to understand what sin is and to understand that we must repent of our sins. My personal conviction is that really it's impossible for an eight-year-old to repent of their sins. I mean, the reason I say that is, you know, their hormones haven't even kicked in yet. I mean, they don't even know what it's like to be tempted in areas. So, you know, if you talk about sin, and we have the example of Jesus who was baptized at age 30, we have to realize there has to be a knowledge-based understanding of the subject of sin, what my Savior died for. He died for my sins. So it would be a good idea to know what sin is. And I'm just telling you, at age 8, you don't know that. You have a very immature, superficial understanding of, yeah, I've done some wrong. I really can't tell you what the wrong. I, well, I think I lied once. Uh, I think I stole something once. Um, but you, you really don't, as far as the biblical definition of sin, you really don't ha- have that understanding at age eight. So why is it so important? Well, if it's not real repentance, you're not going to receive the Spirit of God. And this is what the Bible says, Romans 8 and verse 9 says about this subject. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And I just look at this, and I think, I always imagine what the dark side Satan is after in this area. Because, you see, Satan said, I will be like the Most High. Not different, not opposite, but like the Most High. Whatever he does, whatever God does, I'm going to do it better, only I'm going to pervert it, twist it, manipulate it, counterfeit it, and present it to the world in a religious form. Now get this, Satan's rebellion, he did not say, I'm going to be opposite. He said, I will be like the Most High. So I think of him, you know, thinking, okay, people are drawn to God. They need their religion. They need a relationship with God. So what I will do is I will create an immature acceptance of Jesus, where one never repents of their sins. In fact, they don't even know what sin is. This is what I will do. And I have them believing because they did that long ago. That was all taken care of long ago. And I've heard people say that. Oh, that was settled long ago. Referring to an infant baptism or something like that, you know. So if I were God's enemy, I would have people believing that they have repented of their sins. When in fact, they have never even begun the process of real repentance. And that's the subject what we're talking about today. Now, let me go through what repentance is not, because there's a lot of misconceptions about repentance. Repentance is not a religious track that you pick up and sign on the dotted line. I saw one of those one day, picked it up off the ground, and, and you know, it was very uh, uh, simple. You sign on the dotted line, and you send it in, and you're saved. You know, that, that's, not, that's not repentance. Repentance is not a one-time decision that one makes, as in the example I gave That was all settled long ago. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is not a desire to appear religious and go to church. Now, why would I say that? Well, because I've met a lot of people whose entire relationship with God is based on going to church, looking religious. Oh, I go to church. Yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. 
And that's not real. That's not repentance. Repentance is not a desire to know God. Just because you desire to know God doesn't mean that you have repented of your sins. Repentance is not believing in Jesus. Oh my goodness. I mean, you know, as far as believing in Jesus, I mean, how many people claim that? Oh, I believe in Jesus, but that's not, that does not mean that you have repented of your sins. Repentance is not eternal life. Now, this is a shocker to a lot of people, but eternal life is not repentance. Just because you desire eternal life, that does not mean that you have repented of your sins. I mean, my goodness, if I could give you a pill, if I could go into an old folks home and give you a pill and say this pill will give you eternal life, how many would would reject that? Everybody wants eternal life, but eternal life is not repentance. Repentance is not salvation either. Now, true repentance leads to the process room of salvation, real being really saved from yourself. True repentance does. But the reason I say repentance is not salvation is that, you know, you, you have these altar calls where I give my hand to the preacher and heart to the Lord. Therefore, I am saved. And I'm telling you, people don't think about it from that day forward. They don't think about what they're doing. They don't think about their conviction or conscience, uh, consciousness or anything like that. They just don't think about it from that day forward. So, so I'm saying that true repentance is not salvation. People do all these things, give their hand to the preacher, their heart to the Lord, and, and the illusion, therefore I, I am saved, without a trace. L- listen to me. Without a trace of repentance. They just keep living their dysfunctional lives. That is totally screwed. You ever met religious people whose lives are totally screwed up? And you, you look at them, you think, if that's religion, if that's what your religion is doing for you, I don't want anything to do with your religion. The, the, the reason we say that is because it's without repentance, you understand. You see, the hard part for God is not saving you. I mean, that part has already been accomplished, the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I mean, the hard part for God was God giving his son to die for our sins. You know, that was the hard. But here's the hard part for God when it comes to human beings. The hard part for God is getting you lost, getting you to realize that you're lost. You see, your ego won't go there. Because lost and and the need for forgiveness and lost and repenting of your sins, you know, that's that's coming to a point where you say, I am a worm, as David said. You know, I am, I am, I'm not fit to be scraped off the back of the toilet, something that you'd scrape off the back of the toilet and flush down. That's what I am. What I'm saying is people's ego won't go there. They, They just won't go there. So the hard part for God is getting you lost. And getting you to admit that you're lost. So what is real repentance? Well, re- real repentance is a way of life daily. It really is. Matthew 4 and verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, in order to understand this better, I want to look at life before repentance. And hopefully you can relate to this. What is life like for the unconverted mind? Okay. Now, I I truly believe that people who are living opposed to God, in opposition to God, you know, God is leading them. God tries to lead people into all, and repentance always serves you best. It's always the right answer, repentance. 
Now, and I know that God is not calling everybody right now, but regardless of whether you're being called or not, or not repentance is always in your best interest. So I think the sinner who is just living his life for them, himself still realizes there are things that is pointing him to God. Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end is the way of death. You know, I mean, there is a way, and we we try to, for the unrepentant sinner, he, he lives his life thinking, I can figure this out. I can do this. I can get the advantage. I can, I can make my life work. You know, it's like the song by, by the Bee Gees, you know, I can think of how can you mend a broken heart? I can think of younger days when living for my life was everything a man could want to do. I could never see tomorrow, and I was never told about the sorrows. All the sorrows that come about because you're living a life without repentance. And as this verse says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end is death. Oh, yeah. And then you have, you know, Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2. Vanity, vanity, says the teacher. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. That is an emptiness. I think the unrepentant sinner often looks at his life as empty. He's trying to fill it with everything. He's filling it with alcohol. He's filling it with material possession. He's filling it with entertaining himself. He's filling it with trying to be successful. He's, you know, trying desperately, desperately, desperately to fill that void. And it's all vanity. It's emptiness. It doesn't satisfy, is what I'm saying. And thank God I learned this at an early age in my life. I was a teenager at a pool party, watching people get drunk, jump in the pool, have a good time. And I just, you know, I'm a introvert. You know, I, I, I get off by myself, and, and I, I'm not a people person. So I was watching all this by myself, and I, I thought to myself, there has got to be more to life. Than this. If this is all there is to life, I'm missing something. And then you have Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. Now we're looking at the unrepentant sinner, things that sort of point him in the direction of repent of true repentance. Well, Jeremiah 10 and verse 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that by our mistakes. You start learning this at about, you know, at age. You know, 18, 20, 25, 30, you're sort of living your life to your, to, for yourself. You think you got it all figured out. But then you start realizing, man, I've made some stupid mistakes. You know, people that can't find a mate. And, and, and a lot of people fit into that category. They just can't, they can't find a woman. They can't find a man. They can't find anyone to marry. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And, uh, you know, the reason is that we enter into one sexual relationship after the other. And the more sexual relationships you enter into with a person, the less likely you are to be able to love another person. With each pe person you enter into a relationship with, the, the, the ability to find real love gets less and less and less and less. And if you're having what I call recreational sex, you're going to get to a point one day where you're not able to love another person. You're just not because you're giving it all away. Your love, that is. Okay, so what is repentance? Well, here it is. It is to turn away from self-centeredness, the self, and turn our lives over to God's correction and control. Now, that's a mouthful right there. To turn, our, uh, turn away from self-centeredness, that is the self, and that is your God. You do, you do understand that. 
you shall worship the first commandment. Don't worship any of the gods before me. Well, the God that you're worshiping, if you're an unrepentant sinner, is yourself. That's the God that you have placed before all other gods, you know, at least the God of the universe, the God of self. Okay, and turn our lives over to God's correction and control. Now, that hurts. That's, that's something we don't do easily. Okay. You now, the reason repentance is so hard is because we perceive that we're giving up something about ourselves, and we're not sure we want to give it up. We're, we think the things we're turning away from has some great benefit. It's like addictions, you know. You know, there's, there's almost, when you try to quit an addiction, there's almost, it almost feels like losing your best friend and you want to go back to him, you know. And so we think we're turning away from something that gives us a great benefit. It's the issue of trusting God, it really is. Now, there's two kinds of repentance that the Bible speaks about. The first kind, well, let's take a look at it in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. Now, there, there's your two kinds of repentance. Okay, godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. All right. Godly repentance is a way of life. It's not something you do one time at baptism. I, I don't know where people get these illusions from that... That, oh, that's a decision I made long ago, and that's it. I mean, where's the relationship with God? Where's the repentance? Where's the working out your problems in your relationship with God? With a lot of people, they don't think about it. Once they raise their hand, once they give their heart to the Lord, you know, that's it. That's it. The objective of godly repentance is salvation. In other words, when you enter into real repentance, you enter into something called the salvation process room. It is a room that you're in with God. And, uh, of course, Christ as the Savior, the mediator between you and God, you're in there, and it's a process. And it leads to a change of heart. And that's what not to be repented of means. It means that you, you come to a point where, you're, where these issues called sin— you work them out in your relationship with God. You no longer do them, okay, not to be repented of. Through godly repentance, you no longer desire the sinful thing you once desired. And, and it is a process. This does not happen overnight. Now, I've heard of people who were baptized in immediate deliverance, such as smoking. That's great. I know God can do that. But I'm saying, for the most part, that's not the way God works. Can he deliver you immediately from an addiction? Yes, but that's normally not the way God works. He wants knowledge. He wants you to achieve knowledge on how to overcome so that, now there's a reason for this, so that you can help others, you see. And that's why the process sometimes gets ugly. Oh, this is tough. I can't seem to get the victory. Well, he's, he's, he's teaching you so that you can help others in your ministry. Repentance is a learned behavior. Now get that. Repentance is a learned behavior. And that's why you have to repent multiple times of the same sin. You ever ask, why do I have to keep repenting of the same sin? I mean, uh, here I am again before the throne of God. Christ Jesus, my mediator, high priest, forgives me, goes to the Father and says, Father, forgive him. He's done it again. So why do I have to keep going through this? Well, <laughs> Because the Holy Spirit is leading you to a greater understanding, a greater conviction of that sin. You see, the Holy Spirit teaches us what real repentance is. And that, this is why it's so important to have the Holy Spirit. And God gives his spirit to them that obey him. Is a point you need to 
understand. Acts 5.32, I believe, says that. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot come to real repentance. Now, you can have a superficial repentance, and this is the way, one of the ways you can test yourself whether you have the Spirit of God or not. If you have a superficial repentance that says all that was taken care of long ago, there's a high probability you don't have the Spirit of God because that's not the way the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God doesn't work that way. The Spirit of God doesn't say, oh, yeah, all that was taken care of long ago when you raised your hand, gave your heart to the Lord. That's not the way the Spirit works. The Spirit works in us to achieve victory so that we can overcome our sins. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So that's a good test if you're one that you just don't think about it anymore, you just don't think about all that was, you know, that that was settled long ago and I don't have to worry about it. Okay, let me just inform you, you probably don't have the Spirit of God because that's not the way the Spirit works. Without the Spirit of God, you can repent, but it's a different kind of repentance. Remember, we said there are two kinds of repentance. All right, the other was, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Worldly sorrow is the other kind of repentance. Worldly sorrow regrets only sin's discovery and leads merely to dreading the consequences of sin. You know, it's like I regret this cancer I got from smoking, the smoking addiction, but there is no change in behavior. Real repentance leads to a change of behavior. Many people exhibit worldly sorrow. They are very upset about the natural consequences of their sins and for being caught. Oh, yeah. And sometimes you see that television evangelist, you know, they're just crying like a baby because they got caught with a prostitute in a motel or something like that and just weeping, weeping. Okay, that's worldly. They're sorry they got caught. All right. Now, if you compare Peter's remorse and repentance with Judas' bitterness and suicide, you'll be able to clearly understand the difference between godly sorrow and worldly repentance or worldly sorrow. Now, both Peter and Judas denied Christ. One, Peter, repentant and was restored to faith and service. The other, Judas, took his own life. All right, that's the difference between the two. Okay, real repentance. Psalms 51 verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, that's, that, that's a statement pregnant with meaning. Against thee and thee only. This, is, this is, is an example of real repentance. You realize your sin, yeah, your sin may be against society, against your wife, husband, against your children, against, okay, we get, yeah, you realize that, but real repentance involves the acknowledgement that I have sinned against thee and thee only. I've sinned against God. Okay. That, that's a characteristic of real repentance. You know, if you were to ask most people, you know, they, they, they've gone down to the altar, given their heart, hand to the preacher, whatever. If you were to ask them, if you were to ask, what were you doing that the Bible defines as sin? Do you realize that most Christians don't even know the definition of sin? The biblical definition, that is. First John 3, 4, sin is the transgression or the breaking of God's law. Most don't even know that, okay? They couldn't tell you what sin is. Now, here's the thing. Can people actually worship the Lord, acknowledge that he is Lord, and yet not enter into his kingdom? Well, we know the answer, okay? Matthew 7 and verse 21, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Why? Why don't they enter? Answer, no repentance. You know, many people feel they have received salvation, but in reality have failed to take even the first step. How is this possible? Well, it's because they've been told just believe in Jesus. Just acknowledge his existence, and it's nothing they must do. You know, Jesus said this in Luke 15 and verse 7. He said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Do you realize that's like 1%, the 1% who repents? I mean, that's, that's fascinating to consider it, what Jesus is saying. I mean, he said in Matthew 7 and verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. You know, that's the exact opposite of what we've been told. We've been told that, no, there's all kinds of room to come down to the altar. Just raise your all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Now, if you invite Jesus into your heart, just raise your hand. We've been told the exact opposite of what Jesus is telling us here. The issue is, and the issue has always been, real repentance. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151 or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is is that really in the Bible.net?